I'm Neil. I'm Louise. And I'm Ronnie. I'm Daisy's dad. I'm Daisy's mum. And I'm Daisy's grandpa. In 2018, Daisy was diagnosed with regressive autism. She gradually lost all of her speech and began to show typical autistic traits. She'd spin in circles, avoid eye contact and make loud monotone noises. This was a huge shock. As up until this point, Daisy had been speaking in seven or eight word sentences. And had memorised pretty much 20 to 30 books. Since then, we've all been on a journey of discovery. In this podcast, we'll talk about that journey. And explore the impact autism has had on all of us. The lows. And the highs. This is the story of Daisy. And me. Episode 1. Grief and Joy. So, Dad and Lou, when did you first have a suspicion that something was up? Um, I, I had suspicions, I think, about uh, the first year. Mm-hmm. There was wee things happening, e- you know, even again, and to, to give some context, uh, uh, Daisy went through open-heart surgery uh, f- to repair a hole in the heart. So we were w- watching that. But there was times when I was playing with her on the floor and she would just stare and leave the room for a second. And... Mm. I said to, and I never said to you guys, because I, didn't, I no. didn't want to worry you, but there was just, and I said to Denise, my wife, I said, uh, and Daisy's grandmother, I said, sometimes she just, you know, she's, she's not with me. What about you, Lou? Um, it's really, it's really interesting, actually, because when I think back, there was obviously the point at which she regressed, and I think that's when everything sort of escalated, and we realised, mm. didn't we, that there was something serious going on. But interestingly, I I had a conversation with my best friend after Daisy's diagnosis and she reminded me of, it was the first night I'd had out after Daisy and it was around, she was probably around a year old, it was Mm. after her surgery. And I got tearful on this night out and I'd said to Anna that in the groups, the baby groups, when we're doing stuff on the floor, all of the other babies are looking up at their mums, but Daisy tended to be looking to the side or behind or anywhere but my face. And I think... I subconsciously had picked up on something but then just brushed it away I think because she hit all of her milestones Mm. her developmental milestones and I guess her presentation wasn't a normal presentation when you speak to lots of other people most children have delayed development and Daisy didn't have delayed development and she would have eye contact there were times when I was feeding her she would be looking straight at me so I think I don't know, it's a bit of a strange one. I think there were signs that I subconsciously picked up on, but never really fully mm. accepted or acknowledged it until the regression, I guess. But mm. Which was around, what, just around two, two yeah, years old? Yeah, just before the two. We, or just after two. We were actually watching a few videos last night of uh, around the time when she regressed, which was mm. around... So it sort of came Christmas obvious time. around Christmas too. She had an illness, didn't, didn't she? she? She was really ill. Yeah, and you both got really ill. Yeah, I lost my just, voice. It was just a weird illness. Virus. Mm. And that was around the time she'd started slurring uh, the Goodnight Princess book yeah. Yeah. as well. And then when you, it's really funny when you watch these videos in succession, mm. you can just, it's almost like watching someone get drunker. Mm. You can yeah. just see they're losing the power of speech. Yeah. And and it, it's it's there across about two or three months, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have any. No. I, I think Sign that maybe. was the moment for me as well, because I, I mean, it was it was actually like everything else. It was it was funny because um, it, the way she started jazzing up 
good night princess and it just and i just i just laughed because the star and she did the stars are out the moon is bright and she was hanging mm. on to syllables and it just looked it was just like she was improvising because you know she she knew every word in that book because you know she went through it and through yeah. it through it through it um and then it just started to to kind of go what i don't have much memory of is is what was what were the stages then when we knew something was serious was mm. going on what what, what, did it, did we go? Did you go to the hospital then? Was there a diagnosis very soon after that? The diagnosis didn't come soon after that. I think initially we we alerted the health visitor, who didn't seem <laughs> too concerned at the time. But actually, yeah. I think that the lo- it was the loss of language because she she'd gone from using seven word sentences to it was like they just dropped off words just mm. dropped off as time went on they just start they were just disappearing weren't mm. they her words but i think it initially it was the early support team we were referred to wasn't it yeah um and then what they i think because she was unusual they they did investigate i mean i don't know what the normal process it was, are, sort of there weird, was a lot of wasn't other it? investigations weren't they like she had brain scans and all sorts, yeah it was a she? slow it was a slow sort of first a couple of months mm. and then i think people started to pick up on exactly how unusual her presentation was and we got we got in mm. you know we were taken in for brain scans and well, they thought it might they, be a genetic disorder didn't they we've done the genetics mm. thing and and it was yeah. it was and then it speeded up but we we actually when you when you talk to other parents we're we're quite lucky mm. in that we've kind of we're on board with the diagnosis so yeah. so early in their life and i think as well i sort of I was sort of recognised in people around us that there were there was a sort of delayed um, acceptance. Not it's not that people didn't accept, but there was an element of denial that I think is yeah. quite normal. I yeah. think you you almost go through. I was saying to you, wasn't I? It, when you look at the stages of grief, you almost experience all of those stages mm-hmm. and emotions, and you go in and out of them, mm-hmm. don't you? Because there's like there's the denial, there's anger, there's sadness it, it just all those but i i don't seem to remember you two being in much denial mm. there, there wasn't a moment of yeah. you going well um it, it can't be autism it can't be anything yeah. it's just yeah. it's just a fit you never went into that the two of you which in mm. a way probably landed it for the rest of the family we mm. went with your, you you took the lead i think i was sort of trying to think back i i remember i i just remember one day because I'd, I'd actually started to look up, interestingly. This is something I don't know if I've spoken to yeah, you about. Yeah. I'd looked up um, echolalia, which is where um, there's this sort of repetitive speech, which Daisy did, and I don't think we ever appreciated that that was her autism. Do you remember when yeah, she used to she come used, downstairs in the morning? Say, yeah. Well, yeah. We had a cat on the stairs, and it was the same thing every single day. It was cat, meow, got a funny tail. And she'd say the same thing in yeah. the same way every single day, or you'd just be in the car and she'd suddenly start repeating the whole of the Gruffalo story. But I started to read up whether that was normal for a child her age. And when you start looking it up, that's when you start seeing the word autism. Mm. And I think I slowly it started to imprint. But then I still, I did have denial because there were, I was thinking, well, she hasn't got any of these. She doesn't flap. She doesn't do all these other things. And then actually she started, started to do to all of those started things. Started to walk on her toes. But maybe she was doing them and we just hadn't, noticed i I don't know i I think um, i don't think there was a denial i think there was a bit of sort of blindness Mm. to it 
because you don't expect it no. and then you, you you're maybe not as on the lookout as you are as you yeah. should be but but then once we saw the signs we basically both hit the same yeah. point at, at the same, same time, time. Went, okay yeah. I, and i think I, as well talking about the grief and joy um i think the grief for me was heightened and it was for i'm sure for you was we had seen what she was like mm. she was doing yeah. jigsaws and record time she you know she, and and she had phrases and everything so yeah. she, we had that moment and i and often wonder um you know because people listen to this will have a diagnosis early mm. for their child we had the diagnosis two years in really mm. um so we it's almost the grief w was for me exacerbated because yeah. i knew and i went through that whole thing the long nights of thinking my goodness you know we just there's a switch we need to find yeah yeah you do almost i in the beginning when she was having her scans and things i almost want it sounds awful but i almost wanted them to find something because if they yeah. found something they could potentially fix it it yeah. was almost uh there, there's got to be a solution yeah but i think the whole what she lost bit was the hardest bit and i I don't know if it would have been easier if she'd have never spoken because we in some ways we have the joy of now being able to watch those videos but I have only just started being able to watch videos of her mm. when mm. she was a little when she was That's smaller two years yeah. yeah because I I just and sometimes even now I find it really mm. quite upsetting because yeah. it's just that little husky voice that you yeah. just think well, and all the stuff she used to say she, you forget she, we watched a couple of videos last night and it was a holiday in Southwold and it was when you were on Essex That's it. and we got her to record the Ronnie Barber's Got Issues yeah. <laughs> jingle yeah. yeah and it was just uh, but in hindsight it was autism because she was repeating back to me mm. yeah exactly what I'd said with the same intonation yeah. but and uh, without question there wasn't any sort of it's very clear the only thing I would say to that and this is where I found it really difficult with certain professionals when you speak to them because they say oh well they just often repeat what you say but Daisy didn't. We've got no. videos of her actually engaging in two-way conversation. I mean, there's that video of her when we got her to say happy birthday to my nephew, George. And we said, say happy birthday. And she says, happy birthday, George. And then she coughs, doesn't she? Yeah. And I said, oh, you've got something stuck in your throat. And she says, I got cough. Say hello, George. <coughs> hello, George. <coughs> <laughs> you got something stuck in your throat. I got a cough. You got a cough? You're going to say hello, George? Hello, George. Right. Which is that an answer is, to that yeah. quite complex yeah. sentence. She was answering me, but also was aware of her own body and what it was yeah. doing. And, yeah. and and that's the bit I still I can't understand. I still can't get my head around yeah. it. I was going to ask you, Dad, on the subject of, you know, we, we know what the process of grief has been like for us as parents. Mm. You're a very hands-on yeah. grandparent you've obviously got other grandchildren and you're very active in imaginative mm. play and sort of you know you set up the ice cream shop with Libby and Cameron <laughs> and all that yeah. sort of stuff what sort of grief did you get and was there a, a sort of point in Daisy's development where you thought okay I'm gonna have to be a different grandparent now I think for me uh, I I went through in my mind I'd never seen a child in my family with with special needs. Yeah, yeah. I'd never gone, and never we had never had anything no. in my sister. I think even my extended family, there was you know there was nothing. There was nothing like that. So this for me was and for for us all was a brand new experience of a child mm. who was going to be 
affected for the rest of her life by autism. So that took a long time to process. But also, um, because we were pals, me and Daisy, mm. Mm. Um, I, kinda, I, I was able to process. I didn't think that hard about becoming a different kind of grandfather. Mm. I didn't do that. I didn't go, okay, I, with the other three grandchildren, I can do this. I don't. I didn't think about it that way, though. I I probably do. I yeah. I know, and mm. I know. Um, what? Yeah, and it's like uh, I said before. I'm. A, I think I'm a better person because of Daisy. I think I'm a better mm-hmm. person because of the grandkids. Yeah. yeah. Um, because um, I'm a much more patient person. I probably you'll know. I'm more patient with the grandchildren. It's how it goes. So yeah. you are with your own. But for me, it was. Um, the grief went on and I felt so hard for you guys so that was hard to deal with there was long nights mm. just thinking about the future and how it was going to develop but then uh, we have a phrase in this, the family where we're saying you play what's in front of you yeah. Yeah. and I think we all grasp that we're okay that's what we're going to do we will have fluctuations to our moods mm. and we're, we're feelings we just go right we have to do it for Daisy now um, and I wanted to you know because we've talked about the, the grief of this but also now, as uh, she's progressing and she's a real character, we've got, we're, <laughs> and I said before, we've, we've, we've been lucky, we've had two daisies. We had the pre-regression, uh, yeah. you know, and now we get that. And now you get these these momentous exosets of experience when she'll do something, you go, what? What was that? <laughs> you know, what? what? And, yeah. and it is a moment of joy, just, okay. <laughs> 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 yeah so the tiny wee things become massive is that what you find yeah definitely i think any of those i think to to other people they would probably seem like nothing <laughs> they were they're things you probably yeah. take for granted but those moments where you do get eye contact it might be fleeting but it it just melts your heart because she is engaged with you in that moment and it's it's pure joy for me it makes me feel quite emotional yeah. talking about it but it's just that that moment when you feel connected to her and I think that's the bit that you crave as a parent, isn't it? Yeah. And I think for most parents, that's just an automatic thing that you have with your children. But yeah, for us, those small moments are, that they're just huge, aren't they? I well, think it, it's, <laughs> it's it's the, the little things that become so much bigger, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. So for instance, if, if she sits at the table and she'll eat with a fork mm. and you'll go, Boom, boom, win. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, when when she's, um, you know, when she's running up and down the living room, dancing, got the disco lights on. <laughs> Galloping yeah. as she does. And then she gallops towards you and <laughs> looks you in the eye yeah. for a good three or four seconds. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's being in the moment with her. Yeah. 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 I, I think as well as when you get a word. Um, and, 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 you know, and I think, actually, I always think when you become a new parent, um, you kind of, oh, did you say mummy? Did you say, you know, yeah. and you kind of, start, but actually we're so heightened, so aware now of Daisy that the other day, you know, um, you know, when she said plea uh, yeah. and it was it's in the right context, right place. Yeah. And you go, that was it. And, yeah. and me and uh, y- yeah. your mum just went, that was a plea. That was a plea. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah, that was a plea. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's that she knows everything. It's just, yeah. it's it's that, and I suppose that goes into the grief and the joy. Mm. You, you know that kind of it's in there. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. think um, going back to what you said about being a better person? I definitely feel that mm. as well. 
do, uh, do you think you can sort of put a pin in how it sort of manifests itself? Do you think, do you th- I mean, you said about patience, but I know that particularly when we go out, we're sort of heightened to know if a child's acting up over there in a shop or whatever. Yeah. Previously, you know, a more judgmental person might have gone, oh, well, that child's just being naughty. Mm. But now... It's, it's almost like you've got a sixth yeah, sense, isn't it? completely changed how I view yeah. that sort of thing. And I, I mean, I've always liked to think I wasn't a judgmental person, but I, yeah, hands up in the past if I've seen a child having a tantrum, yeah. I just, yeah, control, on, your, yeah. Ch- control, yeah. Your, child, control your child, which is a ridiculous thing control. to say. But actually now, yeah. I and, actually, and your empathy towards parents, yeah. and like you say, I think there is a sixth sense. Like sometimes we'll walk past someone and we'll see their child and we'll just look at each other and it's like we know that that yeah. child has autism yeah. i think you're just much more heightened to well, it I, me- you... I remember a specific moment where um and it shows that the empathy goes different ways and it does restore your faith in humanity where we were in i think it was tesco and daisy full-on had a meltdown right in the middle of an aisle <laughs> and i'd got to the point where that was fairly normalized quite yeah. happy with it and i just sort of stood over her and just carried on browsing what was what was there <laughs> and a couple of people walked past and just went oh i went yeah yeah, yeah. but to yeah. any to all intents and purposes i might have looked like a negligent parent because <laughs> yeah. i was just standing yeah, yeah. over her but it was you know you I'm, sort of get to that point where it's i think fine. i've only experienced two massive meltdowns with her because i've never really kind of um, but that one, I remember taking to the uh, to the leisure centre, uh, leisure yeah. park. We're going to go, and I was going to get a coffee, and I was going to get <laughs> her a bit of cake. And she didn't want to go. Into, she would not go into the coffee shop, and so she wanted to go up to the cinema. So we walked up to the cinema. We were inside the cinema, and I said, "Okay, back out." And she threw herself on the floor, and there was cars coming in, and she was just lying on the floor. And I said, "And I was doing, you know, Dave, come on, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll just go back." And, go. Yeah. and she wasn't going to have any of it. But then you actually kind of you get used to it and, and mm. you're quite right you become all right okay well this will pass yeah you just yeah. Will pass yeah. and, and you can do through it i think the other thing for me as well is um it's, it's the weirdest thing is um parents other parents you go to a park other parents spot it yeah and so the children they see something and daisy daisy does, yeah. daisy does something unusual and they they think but also um uh, other parents, you, I, I find myself because uh, I'm not a great person to to talk to people in public, yeah. um, which is weird, isn't it? But, <laughs> but I, I find myself. She, Daisy lowers my um, embarrassment threshold. Yeah, uh, she, yeah. She makes me kind of get into it, and I have to, you know, if, if Daisy does something, and I know Lou, you and I have talked about this before. We're the first to say she's got autism. Yeah, yeah. and it's and it's the apologetic autism. Yeah, I, I think I'm getting over that now. Yeah. yeah. It's, it takes time. I'm still, I, there are times when I I feel like I have to explain. And I think especially when she's sort of pushing, because other children are sometimes just objects, aren't they? They're objects yeah. to her. If she wants to get some somewhere, whatever is in the way gets pushed out of the way, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think I sometimes have this, it's not, I've tried to work out what it is. It's not an embarrassment of her. It's no. an embarrassment about what people will think of me as a parent. Yeah. And I think that's the bit I, I've struggled with and I've had to adjust to. But again, I hope that it's actually making me a better person because it is, I suppose it's just reducing some of those 
I, I don't know. Anxieties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still there. I still, but I think actually now she's getting older, I think it's quite easy to tell that there is something different about Daisy, particularly because she doesn't talk and she makes mm. lots of noises. And I think now that I think people can tell and you don't have to have that interaction. No. It's, and there's there's no sort of, I don't feel like I need to explain it's it maybe. It's a bit of a weight off in a weird way, yeah. is't it? That that you that don't you have don't to explain have to, because actually uh, it's fairly obvious yeah yeah you don't have to seem and actually that's yeah. that's a tough part when they're young mm. is you, you think well they just think that's a naughty child yeah yeah what about um the experience you, you you've had these experiences when people think you are a bad parent mm. you know you know oh she, there's nothing wrong with her she's fine she just needs a wee bit of discipline did you <laughs> did you come up against that we well we're really lucky mm. with you guys and with Lou's, Lou's parents no not really there were parts there were people who odd occasions yeah, who, uh, yeah. yeah naming no names but it was it, it was something that did happen yeah but in the close family that that never mm. never came mm. across us really did it? no can i also as, as we go on nearly end of a chat and we'll, we'll talk about a whole because i, I want to keep us f focused on, on grief and joy are you likely do you think to have more grief moments you clearly have great joyous moments coming up. Do you think, you think you'll have moments where you'll think, mm, if only, uh, yeah. Um, I think. So I sometimes I think for me I worry about her future, and that's a big one for me. And I think I worry about our future as well as a as a couple and as a family because. It, I think the other things where well, we don't have any other children so there's that constant battle with guilt and is it mm. the right thing that we didn't have any other children I think part of that was to do is to do with my age but you you sort of wonder whether actually just having someone else that loves her and understands her mm -hmm. especially as we get older so that is a worry and I worry about what the autism will mean for her as a teenager all those things the different stages because because she has intelligence it almost makes it harder for her because she will start to recognise that she's different. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I think, is that what you were sort of yeah, getting yeah, at? I with? Just, I, I, um, yeah, uh, it was. It was that kind of, um, uh, are you expecting more? I think my, I, I know what you're saying because it's it's grieving for stuff that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. yeah. And might still happen. Yeah. But, probably won't yeah so the things that you know we you know we we i remember when we were sat in uh one of daisy's ehcp meetings mm. and it was the meeting where um do you remember the one where the it was a psychologist educational yeah. psychologist and yeah. they sat down with us and we weren't prepped there's a questionnaire the educational psychologist goes through and you talk about what daisy's like you talk about what um what she sort of does and behaviors and all what she likes and mm. and then she hit us is this one question we didn't know what we didn't know it was coming and they said what would you like for her future yeah and we went oh right um uh well, how, how do you mean <laughs> yes. and they went oh well you know what what's kind of what do you want and then my, my first thing was like oh well, i want to go to university i want to get a good yeah. job i want to get yeah. married yeah. and then we both just went just wanted to be happy <laughs> you know yeah. it's just like as long it's, as she can it's ha I think happiness I think the communication is a big thing isn't it because she is non-verbal but actually I think ultimately we said at the end of that it would be a, her happiness 
and for her to reach, if she could, some level of independence for her own. Yeah. yeah. But actually, it it was about whatever she wants or whatever is right for her. It's about her reaching that optimal yeah. level or reaching her full potential. I think they yeah. use all this jargon, don't they? But actually, that makes sense. It's it's whatever we can do to support her to reach her full potential, and whatever that is, it I, it's, doesn't matter yeah. as long as she's happy. What about you? Do you do you get that? I I have long nights thinking about i'll not be there to support mm. yeah. that's my longest night is that i'm so i'm i get emotional yeah. these, but because i i just want to see me yeah. you know helping to land her yeah because yeah. you know it like most of my kids and my grandkids are like mates to me yeah right? yeah and i'm very close to them so i won't be able to do that in the meantime though um i can do everything i can yeah you know i can do it and i'm lucky in the kind of uh, job pattern i have I can help. Yeah. yeah, I can help uh, be a part of her life and 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 take that one. Um, I I I I don't know. I again, I want her to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and it's but it's that whole thing about you know how how high can we aim? Mm. Yeah, we don't know. In a uh, weird way, it's about actually sort of taking those normal aims that might you know people who are neurotypical. Yeah. And, you know, you might say, well, I want to go into an apprenticeship at 16 or I want to go to a job at 16 or university. It's taking all them and just chucking them out the window yeah. and just going, right, well, the targets are different. Right. Yeah. You know? And if she can live on her own in the house, mm-hmm. amazing. I think that's the hard thing, though, isn't it? Because when you become a parent, you have all these ideas about what life is going to be like and what things you're going to experience and I guess that comes back into the grief bit doesn't it because there's thing there's all the imaginative stuff I always imagined how I'd be as a mum mm-hmm. and the things that I would do with her and I've almost had to throw everything out of yeah. the, everything that I thought I was going to be in some ways I've had to sort of scrap all of yeah, that and yeah. go back to the drawing board and in some ways that's easier because we don't have any other children so we don't know any different mm-hmm. but you ha- you can't help but compare when you see other children yeah. like my mm. friend's children and now they're sort of either getting to the same age or they're older or younger and you start to compare and see the differences yeah. and the friendships will she that, ever drive all th- those things it's i think that's where i was going with the grief question yeah. previously is yeah. seeing and, and comparing and contrasting yeah but i think i'm getting better now at just not comparing and contrasting mm. i'm just <laughs> yeah. focused on you know the, the small incremental things you can yeah. she can do um the the you know the devilment in her face sometimes <laughs> when she tries to run up the stairs away from me and yeah you know, and just that whole thing so you know that that kind of bad behavior is is reassuring <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, and she's aware of it so you know for me that that's where i think um uh you know the, the development and and just being and, and and the other thing as well is she's so funny yeah and she is a funny she is. she's a character yeah um but i you know i think the c- compare mm. and contrast and i think a lot of people listening to this yeah will do that and also there's an area where there'll be a few mums who come up and say oh she's doing really well and mm. it's almost not meaning to be patronising, yeah, yeah, but it is. I was going to say actually, why don't we all finish by saying one moment of joy um, that we've had recently? And I'll start. Uh, we've been having bad nights this week. Um, Daisy's not been sleeping. She's been going to bed late, and she's mm. been getting up early. But two two nights running this week, <laughs> Daisy's window is on the front of our house, <laughs> and we've got an estate, so there's through traffic, so you can see her window and two nights running 
we've gone back up to her room after putting her down. She's been up for a couple of hours. I've gone in to check her. She's sat on her windowsill completely naked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I um, think she gets up from her mum. <laughs> Only on Wednesdays. <laughs> um, I think for me, at the moment, it's the she's been enjoying us playing music yeah. and when we're sort of dancing I mean she she has her own little dance it's like a little gallop isn't yeah. it but it's the eye contact you get so it's I mean when I watch her with you it's just amazing mm. and I, I just yeah and this little laugh so she's got this really really cheeky little giggle and it just I could just listen to her all day when she's yeah. like that it's just it's just lovely I've got a couple that are quite quite uh, we had this um, uh, this with the water pad, uh, what's splash it called? Pad, splash yeah. pad, mm. and we got it set up like you do, right? Come on, and Daisy does her, uh, you know, she, she's going to case the joint, <laughs> so she does a kind of okay, you know, I've seen I've seen one of these before, I'm not happy with this, I'll just wander around you, and so you take that, and so she's wandering around, and then eventually she comes to it, and put it in there, because we, and then <laughs> what because of that texture and everything. Her feet just go in the water. I love watching her just go. Yeah. Um, but the other the other thing it uh, makes me laugh. What was the other thing? Oh, I know. I do love when she's the queen, uh, when when she's had some to eat. <laughs> and you know, and I know what you're you know, going to say. I've given her cucumber or whatever, and she puts the plate out to me. Like, just hands it and, out. Yeah. And the eye contact. If you don't if you don't do it quickly enough, you, you get a close. look, don't you? Come on. Well, I think. I think. We've talked about this before. <laughs> I think we both know your role and my role. I've finished. Take it away. <laughs> She's so What's cheeky. fantastic about your relationship with her is, and actually all of our, is she is just the boss. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. There's Abs- no absolutely. question that yeah, you know, yeah, we're in yeah, control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're now going to go to an interview we did uh, earlier this week with Carrie Grant. Carrie, you'll know from the TV. She's a vocal coach. She's been on Fame Academy and Pop Idol. Uh, lovely she's married to David Grant as well and uh, and she's fantastic uh, she talks a lot about autism because she's got four children four children two girls who are um, autistic and one is actually an actress in Hollyoaks uh, and two other children who have uh, additional needs it was fascinating talking to her about her journey with her and her kids here she is <laughs> Carrie, let's just um, uh, the, the theme of this one is uh, is grief and joy, uh, especially with regressive autism. Uh, we had Daisy, we had Daisy one for two years, and the regressive autism uh, happened, and then we got the uh, the diagnosis, and the kind of grief kicked in. What what about your situation? What about that point of diagnosis? Did you have suspicions? And when you got the diagnosis, you went, well, we kind of knew. I think when it's your first child, you're not always aware of whatever normal is. And so I think without, because all of, we've got four children, three birth children and one adopted child, they've all got special needs. So with our first daughter who has ADHD and dyspraxia, it wasn't until we went to school that teachers started to say, there's something with this child that's different. And, um, I think we were kind of thrown into this funny world that we didn't really understand. And, and I always call it the world of the acronym, you know? So you get, oh, Mrs. Grant, Mrs. Grant, you need to go and see the, um, the Senko 
about ASD or perhaps ADHD and you might need to visit your GP and you might need to get an EHCP and you might need to see CAMS. And you kind of go, what on earth is anyone talking about? I don't know this language. It's just impossible. So I think that's the first thing to say is that most people when they start out are just, it's like landing in the middle of Piccadilly Circus and being told to find your way home with no route map. And so that's difficult. Having said that, so then that was our first daughter. Our next two daughters were diagnosed in 2009 on the same day as autistic. And I have to say, David and I didn't grieve. Now I know that's really, really unusual because I know that most families do grieve. But I think for us, there were several things that came into play at that point. I think the first thing was, we were living with the same children two hours before as we were two hours after. Our children aren't changed. They've just been given a title or a label or something that helps us to understand them. So if anything, I think that it actually helped us in a way to fully understand who our children are. And I don't see autism as being like an illness and I don't see autism as being a bolt on. My children are autistic. It's how they see the world. And for us, of course that means there are challenges, but the overwhelming feeling that I have about our children is that they are absolute one-offs. They are <laughs> extraordinary and to be celebrated. And the fact that they're autistic makes them who they are. So for me, a label is not a problem because I don't have a problem with the label. They're fabulously autistic. They're wonderfully autistic. And I love them for being autistic and I don't want them to not be autistic. I want them to be who they are. Now that's not to say that I also want the accompanying mental health issues because I think those are a challenge. But autism in itself is that just is a descriptor. It shows us how that person might think or might go towards. They're so different as well. I've got two daughters, very, very different in their, uh, their autism. So we didn't really grieve. The grief really has come in, I suppose, as they've grown older and some of the mental health challenges that they've had, that's when grief hits. You know, when you're sitting on suicide watch with your child and it's been your sixth stay in hospital in the space of three years, not knowing if your child will get to the age of 60, not knowing if you will even have that child, I think then you really grieve. And those things are really, really hard. Um, but the overwhelming amount of time is spent with joy, is spent with these extraordinary children who are an absolute gift. So Carrie, um, you, you mentioned the um, uh, EHCPs, the GPs, the mental health, the SENCO. So when you were when you were thrown into that, how did that feel? Because I know for us, we're still sort of getting our heads around it. And we're really lucky that we've got some people who help us with, you know, particularly Daisy's first EHCP. She's got it. We didn't actually write it. And I know a lot of people do have to write their own stuff how did that feel when you got chucked into that well i think one of the things uh, I'll, I'll tell you that in just a second but one of the things we did do was six years ago we started a parent support group for parents of autistic girls and non-binary girls um 
well, not non-binary, non-binary people. And um, we have 140 families. So when you gather people, they all start to share. And I would encourage anybody, if you don't have someone that can write up something fabulous on your EHCP, to just hang out with some people that have done it before, some people that are further down the journey than you are. Some of it's a little bit scary to look at because you're like, you know, if you've got an eight-year-old and you're looking at those of us that have got teens and got some of the teen challenges, I think it's a little bit like, oh my gosh, that's scary. But actually it's better to be prepared than to just suddenly have all this stuff and not know where to turn. So absolutely, we had no idea what an EHCP, it was a statement actually. The first thing we did, it was even before EHCPs existed. And it was like yours, done for us and the teachers in the school, the, the, as she was about to begin in school, were really, really helpful. Now that's great and it's brilliant. Everyone has this almost like the, the mountaintop is getting the EHCP, but actually that's not. The mountaintop is like having a ticket to get in, to gain entrance. But actually it's not the same as holding schools to account or the, the CAMs to account for the work that they have to do. So it's all very well having an EHCP, but if no one's listening and they're not prepared to implement it, then actually your bit of paper means nothing. So I think more than anything, more than the HCP, it's about how you build relationships around you, how you build the relationships with the school and and the um, mental health services and your GP and all anyone that can help you build a relationship with them. Most people will build relationships really well and they'll be really helpful. But there are many schools who feel under huge amounts of pressure, who are have got directives from the Department for Education and they have to hit their targets and your child is therefore a problem to them. And that's where you begin a very difficult relationship with school. And many, many parents, almost every parent has got issues with school. And what, ha what can happen is there can end up being a breakdown between parents and schools. So a lot of the work that I do now is trying to actually, how do we bring those two groups together? Because I speak to teachers, I do a lot of work with educators, a lot of work with local authorities, do a lot of public speaking. And with those guys, they're like, if only we could engage the families. And then I sit with the families and they're like, if only we could gain access into the, even into the, a room where we could sit around a table and talk. You're like, hang on a minute, you're both saying the same thing. So why is there a disconnect? Mm. And I think a lot of that happens around status. Everyone is still playing status games. The parents at the bottom of the pile that sit just above probably the child who's squashed at the bottom and doesn't even get any attention. Um, parents are thought of as being either they don't really care and they're not, uh, they're not interested or parents oh they're so fussy they want the world you know it seems very hard to find a place where everyone can find mutual ground and actually all of that informs the EHCP because the EHCP will only mean anything if there are relationships that will happen for instance my adoptive son I've had I made one query to a social worker saying well, we're having problems in school it's really, really difficult. Can you help? Within two weeks, I had 14 people sitting around a table, all coming up with strategies to help my son. So I'm like, hang on a minute. So when it comes to adoption, there's like, everyone can pull out the stops. But actually, when it comes to autism, I could maybe get three people in the room. ADHD, no one, no one's even interested. It's like, oh yeah, they're just those loud kids. So building relationships is more important than the EHCP. 
what what I worry about, uh, Carrie, is you're you're a formidable, uh, right? And and I'm fairly formidable as well, because and because I, I, I can I can take these things on, and, and so is Neil and everything. I worry about the maybe the parents who are put off and even intimidated by EHCP and all that kind of thing, and and just back off, and other children not being supported because the parents are just bamboozled and scared by the system. Yeah, you're so right, Ronnie. And this is why it's so important to build a community of people because, you know, when if someone says to you, even you've got a four year old, yeah, Daisy's four. She's like right on the beginning of her journey. If someone says, okay, she's going into school, what do you need? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't do school. I haven't been in school. If it's your first child, I've not been to school for to 15 years. I've got no idea what a four year old needs. You tell me, and then of course, are they really going to tell you when they've got, they've got to get your child through their sats or they're gonna be judged. Everyone is thinking about a plastic banner hanging on the railings. We have forgotten the child. And that's where we have to get back. And actually lockdown is the best and perfect opportunity to reassess what do schools actually want? What do we want from our children? We've all become so exam crazy that we've forgotten their mental health. We've forgotten building a whole child. All we're interested in is that plastic banner. And that's all people, even parents, they'll drive past the school. Oh, that school's got outstanding. I want my kid in that school. That may be an outstanding school for children that don't have SEN, but it may not be an outstanding school for your child. So how are you meant to know all this stuff? You're not, and you cannot possibly know all this stuff. What you can do is start to hang out with parents who are a little bit further along the journey than you, who can actually give you some some advice. Because once they start talking, parents, I know in our group, they sit there nodding, going, this, oh, and they're writing stuff down, going, oh my gosh, I need, to, I didn't realize you could do that. I didn't know about disability living allowance. I didn't know about, um, I could go and have a meeting with the Senko that I'm allowed to ask. I didn't realize I was allowed to meet with the teacher. I didn't realize I could actually write a report, for instance. Now, every, every meeting I go into, I write a report. Everyone, heck, everyone spends an hour and a half with my kid and they write a report. I spend 24 hours a day with my kid. I'm not allowed to write a report. That's ridiculous. So of course I'm going to write a report. Because, so when my son went into school, he didn't have any HCP at that point. I wrote out, this is my child. This is how they act. This is their interactions. This is what they're going to struggle with. These are the strategies that you might want to implement. If you want to have a meeting about this, I'm more than happy to have a meeting. And by and large, schools have been very good. We've had one terrible experience with Tali with secondary, which was so awful. I feel like I've lost 10 years off my life. Still, mm -hmm. I'm still traumatized by that experience. But that's that's not all. There's the good stuff too. Yeah. I have a great relationship with my local authority. But there are bad experiences out there. And I know that with all our parents that we meet, some of those are just awful. But we have each other now. We yeah. have each other. And I think that's that's the best thing that I can recommend, really. With um, Carrie, you mentioned there about um, uh, struggles with mental health and, and sort of as, you know, as the girls get older and, um, you know, develop into their teenage years, that's obviously going to be a battle. For for me, part of the it's almost like grief before it's happened, because I I don't know what Daisy's going to be like as a teenager, and that really scares me that the potential for really really 
tough mental health challenges. Did you um, did you find that there was help enough for you when you were going through that with yours? So we've had two children that have been in the same kind of place really so that Talia at first from 13 to 16 had terrible mental health problems and we were in hospital all the time. Imogen uh, was asked to leave her school at the age of 11 and she's now 14 she's not gone back to school there's no school for her so the challenge we have with Imogen is that she's academically really really clever but she's also very autistic and by very autistic I mean that she does what she wants to do mm. and it's her agenda she wants to follow and she's a blurter so she'll say this is so boring and of course get sent out the class and they're like you know well she's been really naughty today she keeps shouting i'm like no she's been really autistic today let's get the language right she's being who we ex why are we expecting anything any different so she doesn't really fit in a mainstream school because she wants to blur she doesn't fit in a special school because she's too academic so where does she fit? And what does that message to an 11 to 14 year old, that's how long it's been, nearly three years. What does that tell her? You know, that's why, and then, we, then we're surprised there's a mental health problem. For goodness sake, if you did that to any of us at our ages, yeah. we would feel isolated, rejected, alone, and like we didn't fit. So a lot of this is about best practice and how to get it working. And we have had help but some of it came very, very late. So Talia had absolutely no help at school. They blocked every help, in fact. They were absolutely awful. But the mental health services, mental health services, I would say are very good, <laughs> but you only access them in a crisis. And by crisis, I mean a suicide attempt or something where you're blue lighted. So as you can see, you're not gonna get any help really that's preventative. 75% mm. of people that are referred to CAMS don't get an appointment. Mm. So that means CAMS are only able to meet 25% of the need. And that is immediately an issue. What happens to the 75%? They've all got to get to crisis. So crisis does happen. Uh, it does help, but it's, it, it happens in a crisis. What I will also say though, is at 16, Talia, saw or we saw an advert on Facebook for um, people to audition for Hollyoaks. They were looking for yeah. a actor. She got the job and Hollyoaks, Lime Pictures, put everything into place. Now, 200 members of staff were given autism training. They were given three days. Now, that means a lighting rigger on Hollyoaks has had more autism training than any teacher that has ever taught Talia. Yeah. Oh. What does that tell you? So is it that our children are going to have mental health problems because that's part of their diagnosis? Or is it that society is so awful at actually understanding our children that by default they develop mental health issues? Talia now flourishes. Talia is now, you know, doing so, so well. She travels to Liverpool most weeks. She acts and learns scripts overnight. She's given different crews to work with every day, different actors. She's working with change and adapting to change constantly. So we always think of it as being two dials. There's toleration and there's demand. And if the toleration levels are really low, you can't put demands on a child. Mm -hmm. If the toleration goes up, you can increase the demands. 
And this is what happens when you are loved, when you are accepted, when you are celebrated and understood, your toleration goes up, your demands can go up. But you've got to work with the individual. Can I dive in just a, a personal point, uh, Carrie? Is just um, what kind of strain does it put on a relationship? Uh, the reason I ask this is I always remember I, I lost my niece when she was about uh, 11. And my wife, my big sister and her husband went through a really tough time dealing with it. I wonder about, as we're talking about grief and joy, how much of a stress then it is for couples who they have this child then and they know and it, they can see it out in front of them, as Neil was talking about there. How much support is there there for a, a couple to deal with this grief of the child, as it were? There's none. There's none. Hmm. There's none. So the only support that you will get is if your child is in crisis, which to be honest, by the time your child hits crisis point, you've probably learned so much. I have never met better parents than <laughs> special educational need parents. Yeah. They are the most read up. They're shape shifters. They're people who adapt constantly, micro changing their parenting hour by hour, minute by minute to meet the need of their child. That's what I see when I meet SEN parents. And yet your child hits crisis. You go to CAMS and they're like, oh, you're going to need some family therapy. We're like, are you actually kidding me? <laughs> you know, so you're going to teach me how to parent. I actually need help here. I don't need you to take me back to the ABC of how to listen to your child. Do you think I haven't been listening for the last 20 years? You know, it's, it's ridiculous. So family therapy at its best, I'm sure is great. And I've got friends who are practitioners and they are really good. But a lot of what we were being offered was like, we were teaching courses by the time we accessed that. So I think it's, I think it's for us to do everything we can to learn everything we can as parents. And you learn that by trying to get onto the same page. And I think that's probably the hardest thing for any parents is to find the same page. And that's why marriages, you end up leading quite often our parents in our group, they end up leading parallel lives. So I'm parallel parenting, but I'm not actually really interacting with my partner. And quite often, particularly if you've got one parent that's normally the wife has given up their work in order to care for their child. Sometimes it's the guy, but normally it's the wife. That woman is then completely her world is that child. And the partner who is now suddenly having to earn two wages and it isn't quite working is under huge financial pressure and huge stress. So they get home from work and they're like, why is the child being in pajamas all day? Why did you not manage to get out the house? Why are they behaving like this? And then the partner is like, I'm doing my very best. It's really hard. Yeah. And, and then you've got sometimes, dare I say it, the in-laws and the parents saying, that child just needs a bit of discipline. And that's, you know, why are there not more boundaries? We would never have let you do that. No wonder why she's getting up at three in the morning. Did you see the amount of sweets yet at seven o'clock in the evening? So, you know, you've got, you're, you're firefighting on every level. So is it any wonder that partnerships, you end up screaming at one another? So the most important thing is to commit yourself to finding an, a mutual territory a mutual place where you both can say this is how we want to parent for david and i that took about four years i would say four or five years to get on the same page so please go easy on yourself if you're new to this journey mm. 
David and I have been married since 1988. We're really, really solid. And even us with a really solid marriage really struggled to find that same page. Mm. I was like, it's like I jumped into therapy world. I jumped into all the action and got into a totally gentle way of parenting. David was like, they need boundaries, you know. So it took David longer. It just felt like this is, she's out of control with these kids. So we really struggled. And it wasn't until we learned about a thing called um, nonviolent resistance was the thing that we, that really helped us. Um, That gave us so many strategies and put us back in the driving seat. So uh, going back to, um, because it's funny when, um, when I hear you talk, there's obviously an awful lot of uh, difficult times that you've been through with the kids and and dealing with services and stuff but there's in your answers there's little moments of joy and you, yeah. there are little sort of um you know with with the acting being holly oaks and you know all that sort of stuff do you find uh because i know i do amongst it all there is at least five or six moments in a day where you just either burst out laughing or you've got a smile across your face and do you find do you find that with your kids you're absolutely right neil and what that is is actually counting the small wins to actually look at the small wins you know when my child let's just say before lockdown we've got friends over my child slams the kitchen door stomps upstairs and our friends look at us like you are going to say something right and I, I'm thinking, oh my God, they didn't say the F word as they walked out. <laughs> I'm so pleased. I've just won. I've just broken through with that child. So it's all about perspective. You know, you're saying my child got me up at three, but I don't know, you know, and you're saying you've got bags undressed. Maybe they were getting you up at one, two nights ago. So maybe three is a result. So it's looking at those small wins and, and actually changing our perspective. And I think being open to changing your perspective is so good for autistic parenting, autistic children anyway, because their perspective is so different. It's finding those moments in the day, like you say, where you're like, I cannot believe my child just did this. They just said, please. And I've been trying to get them to say please for 20 years. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that actually, because, um, uh, dad's helping out with the childcare because obviously I'm I'm working at the moment as well. Um, she said please the other day for for the first time in a in I don't know three or four years. Maybe. That's the other thing as well, Karen. And then we're going to let you go as well because we're running out of time on the Zoom. But um, you know the, the in a sense the moments of joy are heightened for me because uh, yeah. you know like the like Denise and I we'd just given her uh, she wanted uh, an apple. And we got the book out and she went, okay, Apple. And I said, you want an Apple? And she did the, the sign, but also went, plea. And Denise and I both like exercise, where eyes connect, went, that was plea, that was plea, that was please, that was great. And yeah. in a way, I think we're, I, I certainly feel like I'm a better, I, you know, I've, I could make a really good parent now, if I'm honest, um, because <laughs> I've learned so much as a grandparent and you do that anyway. <laughs> because <laughs> you make all the mistakes i can see neil laughing there yeah, yeah. but but it's that whole thing you never of... got away with that would you <laughs> no he certainly wouldn't but well he's he's a lot nicer to daisy than he was to me yeah true i i can't carry i can't deny that um you know i never liked him as a child i just didn't like no um 
but 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 these moments are suddenly uh, it heightened, inflated, and you think, okay, in amongst everything, in amongst the long nights worrying about what's going to happen and everything, you get these wee bits of uh, you know uh, laughter, or when she gives you a dirty look as well. If you do something she's not quite happy with, you get this sideways look, and it just kills me because she's just going, all right, and she's connected, or you get eye contact. So all these things, and and right at the start you were saying there of. She's autistic. You know, that that yeah. joy is, 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 and now you've said it, you know, maybe we need but to. Why are we, why are we saying the best people to parent are the neurotypicals? Why are we, where did that mindset come from? How do we know that? What's yeah. to say the disabled people aren't the best people to parent? Yeah. How do we know that? All we know is this is what we've been handed. And for us, it's joyous. Yes, it has challenges. Yes, it's a really extreme life. Oh my gosh, it's extreme. And if you heard some of the things we've been through, you go, oh my gosh, I never want to go through that. But when you're living it, do you know what? Yes, some bits are awful, but much of it is absolutely incredible. And the highs, as you say, are super high. Yeah, last one from me. Uh, If you had a magic wand, would you change anything? I would change society so that my children were celebrated for who they are because I think that would change the mental health issues. So the mental health issues is that they're the only thing I really, really struggle with. Um, I don't really care that my child blurts out. It doesn't bother me, but it bothers teachers and it bothers other parents of children. So that therefore shuts my child out of school. Um, You know, the mental health stuff, yes, I would change that. But the only way of doing that is to change society. So my job as a parent is to make my child ready for a world that could be very rejecting and to make the world as much as I can ready for my child and children like them. And I have to ask finally, uh, are they singers? Can they sing? <laughs> they certainly can. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, I really, really can. My poor little adoptive son is just like, why have they put me in this <laughs> one? <laughs> it's like being in the Von Trapp family and going, oh, what, no, we're what, not going to sing. No, we're not going to sing. Yes, yeah, we are. The whole time. When he gets older, he won't be in therapy because of being adopted. It will just be being stuck with a <laughs> 18 years of singing. Yeah. Oh, Carrie, thank you so much. Um, uh, and a personal point, just the things you've been saying there. I don't know about you, Neil. I just feel uh, revived. I feel kind of uh, a wee bit more, certainly more enlightened and more empowered. So, Carrie, thank you for that. And and uh, it's going to be having me. Oh, it's been great. Well, thank you, Carrie. That um, I, I feel more positive about the world. I'm sure my dad does yeah. too. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The lovely Carrie Grant. Now, uh, let's just give out some details uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with us on the Twitter feed and everything, because uh, we'd like to start a conversation. Uh, for us, and uh, it's quite blatant, uh, we want as a family to get, get more experience of of dealing with, uh, with, with a child with autism. What have you experienced? Have you got any tips, things about sleeping? We're going to be covering these items anyway. But anything you can get involved in the conversation be fantastic yeah so the email is daisy and me podcast at gmail.com and the twitter is daisy and me pod fantastic we will see you next time but thanks very much for listening Bye.